Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Uh, and one time, a uh, uh, fellow, a little bit younger than me, had come in, and he'd been in several times before with stuff he brought in, and um, sometimes he found interesting items, and sometimes he didn't, and most often I would give him a little bit of money either way just to make sure he had something for the day. And uh, he came into the store one day, and he had brought me a, a plastic shopping bag, like a grocery bag, and it had... Uh, few various odds and ends, and one of them was a picture of uh, Bambi. Now that simple picture of Bambi would go on to change the lives of several people. We're joined today by Alexander Archibald. He is an explorer and antique enthusiast. He's also the former owner of an antique store in Edmonton called Curiosity Inc. Today on Connections, he's going to share that story with us. We're also going to chat with the man on the other side, the man who brought in that Bambi picture. We're going to get caught up on how his life is going. We'll air that one tomorrow on Connections. Alexander Archbold is our guest today. He is an explorer and antique enthusiast. He once owned a store in Edmonton, an antique store called Curiosity Inc. And it's there that something miraculous happened, a life-changing experience. We're going to hear about that coming up in a little bit here on Connections. You're an antique enthusiast. Tell us a little bit about what got you interested in antiques. You know, nowadays, more and more people kind of like this stuff. But what was it for you? Um, that's actually kind of a difficult question because although I had an interest in antiques as a kid, it was more that I had to have an interest in antiques as a kid, or I found that that was, um, you know, it was just something that, uh, did you grow up surrounded by antiques? No, I didn't, you know, and that's why I'm I'm struggling to answer the question is because <laughs> um, we were quite poor when I was a kid and we struggled with poverty and homelessness at times ourselves. And I bought things at yard sales and garage sales and sometimes pulled things out of the dumpster myself um, to resell to help my mom and dad so that they would have money for maybe a hotel room that night or money for rent. Um and I helped out in any way I could. And I guess that's kind of what started the antique buying and selling is that, yes, I had an interest in it, but it was out of um, it was out of need that I, I had to I felt I had to do it. And that um, the things I owned were, you know, they weren't things I'd be able to keep. You know, most kids think, you know, you have your toys and they're going to be yours. I looked at my stuff like it was everything I, I owned was potentially something I had to sell if the need came up. So it was and a different different kind of scenario. <laughs> it's a different kind of scenario, but it it went from a need to something that you became passionate about. Yeah, it uh I developed a skill for finding things of value and being able to resell them and later in life when I had a uh, a good job, um I was um managing 26 retail stores and later became a senior manager with Apple and I was sort of buying and selling just for fun. It wasn't a necessity at that point, but you know, if I saw something that had value, I knew I could buy it and resell it. And uh, friends of mine told me, you know, you should open up your own store. You should probably make more money doing that than working here. And I <laughs> thought about that. And um, I was kind of at a low spot in my life where I was feeling like, you know, I wasn't, uh, wasn't really having as much fun with work. Um, and so I thought I'd branch off and do something a little bit more fun. And uh, opened up an antique shop, left left my job with uncertainty and opened up an antique store. And it's a successful story. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Um, yeah, well, I, I owned and operated an antique store for the past six years. I closed it down two months ago, but not, not because we had to or not because business wasn't good. I closed it because I was able to basically retire. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had everything we needed. The house was paid off. The, the commercial building was paid off. And so um, uh, we ran it so successfully that I was able to kind of just spend a lot of time with my family. And for me, that's really important. So I still do the YouTube videos and I still go out and have adventures and, and buy and sell the odd thing, but uh, I don't have to do it at the level of having a store anymore. What was your favorite part about all of that? The people, for sure. You know, meeting people, um, having those conversations, people coming into the, the shop and chatting. You know, I, that was certainly the best part of it was the, the interacting with folks and going around and having adventures too, you know, <laughs> going to people's houses and buying things. And, you know, yeah, that was great fun. Now you have one really amazing story. We're going to get around to that in just a second about uh, an, a very interesting item that was dropped off to you. But one thing uh, we kind of talked about a little bit is that you have you have this YouTube channel. One thing that my husband and I enjoyed was that you always shared the stories behind these people. When you went into homes and you were digging through and looking for items, you always shared a story. Why was that so important to you to share these people's stories? Well, I guess at the end of the day, because I don't think that objects or antiques or any sort of possession actually matters <laughs> i i think that it's the people and their story and what people can can learn from these situations that matter the most um you know and uh it's easy to get uh lost up in you know this person was a hoarder or you know i can't believe they lived like that and in some cases we buy a house that was very messy but really the person behind it was an amazing and complicated person you know, who maybe they fell into hoarding later in life, but that that shouldn't, you know, do away with who they are as a person and all the wonderful things they've accomplished and and truly amazing people that many of these people are. And so for me, the the more interesting part was the story of the person versus the, you know, the stuff that they'd acquired. Before you closed down the shop, uh, you had a very interesting moment. Tell us a little bit, and all I'm going to say is about the Bambi piece of art that bit of artwork actually came in probably early on when we had first opened the store and um we had probably been open for less than a year at that point um the neighborhood i was in um was sort of a commercial area and on occasion we'd have homeless people who come in the store and want to sell things that they found in the dumpster or you know that they traded for or what have you so um you know a lot of times it wasn't anything i was interested in because it was literally garbage uh, and one time, a uh, uh, fellow a little bit younger than me had come in, and he'd been in several times before with stuff he'd brought in. And um, sometimes he found interesting items, and sometimes he didn't. And most often, I would give him a little bit of money either way just to make sure he had something for the day. And uh, he came into the store one day, and he had brought me in a, a plastic shopping bag, like a grocery bag. I think it was a Safeway bag or something. And and it had uh, a few various odds and ends. And one of them was a picture of uh, Bambi, you know, standing sort of uh, in the forest, <laughs> as you'd imagine <laughs> Bambi to be. And uh, the frame was really ratty. And um, it, I think it had like sort of some garbage slime on the glass. And and uh, he said he wanted to sell it. I asked how much. He said, make an offer. And I said, I don't know. And I looked at it kind of back in front and I thought, well, you know, it looked like an animation cell that they would have sold as a reproduction in the 1990s or 2000s at a gift shop or something, which 
would be worth about $40 or $45 or something like that. So I, I offered him $20, what I thought was about half what the thing was probably worth because I'd have to go get a new frame and, you know, there's going to be some expense to it. So I probably wouldn't have made very much money at all. Um, so I gave him his $20 and he accepted and he went on his way. And I went out to go get a new frame from a craft store. <laughs> and I, I got back to the shop. And as I'm taking it out of the old frame, I realize it has a certificate of authenticity on the back from the 1930s. Wow. Well, this is a little different. You know, I thought this was going to be from, you know, modern era. I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, an, an older piece. And it turned out uh, it said it was from Disney Studios and was an authentic animation style used from the movie Bambi. Of course, everybody knows the movie Bambi. Many people do. <laughs> um, so I, I went online and I started looking it up, you know, what is this thing worth? I put it in the frame, put it in the new frame <laughs> and I started looking up, well, what do these things sell for? And there was only one that I could find that was available and it said, please contact us for price. So I did. And the guy wrote back and, uh, he said he was asking $3,500 American for it. Wow. <laughs> and that was a, that was a big, that was a far cry from the $20 I paid him. So I, I kind of knew in that moment that. I had underpaid for this thing and, um, and I, I wanted to give him his fair share. So that was the tricky part because, uh, his name is Adam. The guy that sold to me, he was homeless. Um, so it's not like I could call him or it's not like mm -hmm. I knew where he lived cause he didn't really live anywhere. Um, so I got in my van, uh, I had a Volkswagen van from, well, I, you know, early eighties kind of done up with turquoise and white and kind of looked like a retro <laughs> thing. But I got the, I, I got in my hippie van <laughs> and I uh, drove up and down the alleys for about two weeks asking um, almost every homeless person I could meet. I'd pull up, I'd see somebody, you know, digging through a dumpster or sitting on the side of the road. And I'd say, hey, do you know a guy named Adam about this tall? And I'd describe him and uh, many would say no or one would say yes, but they didn't know where he was until finally I came across a guy named Monty another homeless guy who was actually an artist himself, a woodcarver, as I learned. I got to know mm -hmm. lots of the, the homeless folks in the area. And he said, yeah, I know Adam. I'll, I see him like every couple of days. The next time I see him, what do you want me to tell him? And I said, oh, just tell him he forgot something at my store and uh, tell him to come and see me. And so, because I didn't want to say, tell him I've got lots and lots of money for him because <laughs> I didn't want to put him in jeopardy or, yes. you know, get him in trouble. So um, he eventually came in the store and... Uh, I said, you know, it looks like this thing is worth a lot of money and um, I'd like to, I had no idea what it would sell for. I said, let's put it on eBay and let's, we'll split the profits, you know, if it goes for a hundred bucks or whatever. And um, it ended up going for over $3,000. Um, and so what I did is I didn't split the profits with them. Uh, I didn't do that. Um, I gave him half the money in cash and then we used the other half of the money to get him uh, a plane ticket home and new clothes and a place to stay for the week while we waited actually we didn't get him a plane ticket i apologize we got him a train ticket because he didn't have id because he'd lost it years ago so i had to take him in and get him id and it was a whole thing i drove him around mm -hmm. for probably a day or two getting stuff sorted out so that he could get back home um and while we were waiting for that uh, i started a gofundme for him and we were able to raise him eighteen thousand and some odd dollars and um, I got in touch with his mom, who thought he was dead. They, they hadn't heard from him in years. And he had children that he hadn't seen in a long time and, uh, you know, in several years. And um, we were able to send him back home, and he reconnected with his family. And, um, you know, he had uh, some money. <laughs> you know, we'd raised a bunch of money for him. So 
he's a, he was able to spend that time to kind of get himself clean because he picked up some addictions while on the street. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to say it ended up turning out to be a really good story. When he came back to your store and you told him, hey, I have this money for you, what was his response? Well, I didn't have the money when he first came in because I said, I think this is worth a lot more and whatever it goes for, I'd like to split with you. And he was like, okay. And then I said, if you come back in, maybe we can do a little interview with you. And uh, Because I knew that I wanted to do a GoFundMe. So that was the purpose of doing that. We did a video and put it on YouTube. The whole purpose of that was to let people know that, hey, here's Adam and we're going to help him out and we're going to do a GoFundMe and try and help him. And um, uh, he was, when he eventually came in and and he didn't know what what it was going to go for. You know, because he thought maybe yeah. it would go for 40 or $50 or something like that. Um, so when I gave him an envelope with, you know, I think it was like $1,700 or something, and he was floored. He's, he mm. was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, is this for real? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, it, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a nice feeling to it, – handing him the money wasn't – you know, that wasn't the – for me, that wasn't the best part of it. I mean, that to me, that was money that should have been his anyway. If I would have known what the thing was worth, it, I probably should have paid up on it anyhow. The better part was getting in contact with his mom and his mm. kid and then arranging for that train. The best part for me was waving goodbye at him at the train station and knowing that he was going back home. That was well, that was the best part. What was that phone call like with his mom and, and his family? Well, it was emotional, you know, and... Uh, you know, they, they had missed out on him, um, on seeing him. Uh, he'd come to Alberta and had uh, been a fairly successful drywaller and uh, broke up with his girlfriend here. And uh, anyway, uh, out of depression, I'm sure, and other things, he ended up on the street and um, kind of gave up on himself, I hate to say. Yeah, he told me that he didn't think he'd last another winter. Wow. So the the timing came it came at a really good time. He said it was really rough on the streets and Edmonton where I, where I am, it can get down to minus forty. Uh, that's minus forty Fahrenheit or Celsius, the same temperature. Minus forty is pretty darn cold to be out living on a street. Uh, you know so when it's forty in both directions that it's cold. Yeah, it's very <laughs> cold. And and yeah. he didn't know if uh, if he'd be able to make it one more winter. So I think. Um, you know, uh, it was very fortunate that he came into my life at that time and uh, that he brought that piece in, I guess, to somebody who, um, you know, early on in our business, we, you know, we were still struggling as well. But I knew that I didn't care about the money as much as I cared about doing what was right for him. It's a blessing all around. A miracle story. Yeah. And uh, and so now, I guess, to bring you up to speed where he's at now um we got him home and that's where he had to start doing the hard work of sort of uh, detoxing and getting himself uh on the straight and narrow and that took him i think about six or seven months to you know completely he had to he had to get used to sleeping in a regular bed again you know um and that doesn't sound like it's something that would be hard to get used to but um sleeping in a normal bed uh, when you're used to sleeping on a hard floor can actually seem uncomfortable and awkward and strange for somebody who's been homeless. So he had to uh, remember what it was like to be normal again. And, uh, you know, for people that say, oh, there's a homeless guy, you should just go out and get a job. It's not as easy as that. You have to remember what it's like to be part of this other society that they've exited from, you know, and they have to feel kindness and feel supported. It's it's not a quick turnaround. It's not as easy as just going out and getting a job. Um. So uh, after basically he was able to make himself um, ready to re-enter, <laughs> to, 
um, he started uh, doing drywall work again. And uh, now, uh, several years later, he's completely free of any sort of uh, drug use or alcohol or anything like that. Um, he owns a successful company uh, called Pillar Drywall in the London, Ontario area. And uh, he has, you know, a, a commercial building that he leases. He has work vans. He has multiple employees. Uh, he's like, a, a, it's a wow. pretty big company that he's started. <laughs> and he's doing fantastic. He sent me a picture. He was having dinner with the mayor the other day. <laughs> and that was actually going to be a question of mine. Do you still keep in contact with him? I have never not kept in contact with him. Adam and I talk, I'd say every every couple of weeks or so. You know, whether it's through Facebook, um, have talked on the phone many times. Um, I've gone out there to visit him once, and I am planning on going out to visit again. But yes, we're still in touch. He says I'm like his uh, his brother, <laughs> his brother in Alberta. Um, you know, and and I feel the same way. He's somebody I'm I'm sure will always be a part of my life. You know, that I'll always I'll always care for and uh, and want him to do well. And I'm proud for him, like I would be any other family member, when I see his successes, I, I feel true happiness and true pride for him. How amazing is it to just look at this now and go like, wow, I had a very, I mean, in the end, at the end of the day, it was a very small thing that you did that changed this man's life forever. You know, it, it, it breaks my heart more than anything to know that there's so many people out there just like him, mm. that they just need somebody to care enough they just need their family to accept them back into their lives they just need that nudge to get back on track you know i think about how many people i met even those two weeks driving around looking for him and i it kind of haunts my dreams thinking i wonder what they're doing now i wonder if they're okay i wonder how many more people need help and a lot of times the uh the systems we have in place are great for giving them a place to sleep for the night or are great for getting them a cup of coffee when they need it. But they're not really great at helping them with their immediate needs, which is primarily emotional support. Um, my wife ran into somebody the other day. She was working a charity event and um, somebody came up and they worked at a uh, homeless shelter and they recognized my wife from some of our videos. And they, they told her that um, they play that video that I did of Adam um, you know, of, of giving them the money and doing the GoFundMe. Uh, they play it for the homeless shelter. I didn't know that. Wow. To show, to give them hope that, you know, there are people out there who will care. And many days I feel like I'm just not doing enough and it feels like I'm almost sinking. Like I want to help everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, there's a certain danger. You can't just walk around and say, hey, do you need something or do you need help, right? You, you, Adam came into my life at the right time and I had another uh uh, a friend named Hans who came into my life at the right time. He was in a similar similar kind of situation to Adam, and I was able to help both those gentlemen out. But, you know, I, I guess where I'm at is I'm trying to figure out exactly what, what more I can do that will be meaningful. What would you say to those listeners when it comes to, you know, meeting that person on the street? Uh, you have a background yourself. You've been there. You know what it's like. What would you say? Well, I mean, in my situation, I was a kid, so I wasn't drinking or doing drugs or anything. I was just desperately trying to find a way to get ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say um, that if somebody is is struggling um, with addictions, they have to be prepared to face why. You know, why have they turned to that? What is making them go down that path? And if they're not ready to do the work, as Adam was ready to do the work, you know, he had to go through a lot of work, six, seven months to get himself off everything. 
but the transformation can be so wonderful. You know, he's with his kids now. Um, he has his family back. He has a job. He, he's employing people, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a turnaround in just a, a year or so that he went from thinking he was going to die on the streets within the next year. And he'd been, he'd been living rough for, I think, three or four years. That's, that's a while. Um, and so he thought that was it for him. And, um, you know, now to, to live this totally different life and, and to be doing wonderful, I think that anybody listening should know that there is hope for them as well. And that, um, you know, not everybody's going to see them in a bad way or in a bad light. Um, but they also have to do the work to, to get where they want to go. And I hope that more people can, can bring themselves back out and be with their families and really enjoy life the way that they want to enjoy it. And um, if this podcast helps or if any words that we're saying help, then, you know, that's some small solace, I guess, for for a world that has a lot of pain in it. Tell us a little bit now. You said you've shut down the shop. You're at home with your family now. What are you up to these days? Anything new and exciting um, that we can look out for? Oh, well, I still am buying and selling antiques and um, I'm planning on doing some building renovations. I mean, if I was in Winnipeg, there's so many cool buildings I'd love to fix up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I'm uh, right now wanting kind of transitioning from buying and selling a lot of antiques and things to working on old cars. And um, and I'd like to find a, an old heritage building to restore. So we still have lots going on on our channel <laughs> and lots of adventures. I mean, uh, just last week I, I met a brother who I never knew existed. We just found each other after, you know, 43 years. Wow. So um, that was pretty exciting. So th- it seems like um, my life has enough going on even without running a business that just keeping up and being me is a full-time job. So I'm sure I'll have plenty to do. For those who want to see the video, uh, of this whole thing that went down. They want to watch all your other videos. Just want to learn more about you. How can they go about doing that? Uh, well, you can just Google Curiosity Inc. Um, or you can go onto YouTube and look up Curiosity Inc. And you'll find, um, unfortunately, there's almost a thousand videos in there. So you might have to do a search for uh, Bambi <laughs> Animation or type in my name, which is Alex Archibald, and you'll see it pop up. I'm also a former Winnipegger, too. Fabulous. I was out there for five years so hello to everybody out in winnipeg my wife and i had a little house in wolseley for a number of years so we enjoyed that is awesome oh my pleasure have a good day and thank you so much for joining us and for listening today don't forget to subscribe we'll talk to you again on connections